Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is January the 23rd, 2019. This is episode 2365 of the Survival Podcast. 2365. I got a guy coming on the air with me in just a little bit here named Jacob Cohen. He's out of Canada. He is a uh, combat veteran. He's a current Master of Science student in pharmacology. He served for 2.5 years in the uh, Israeli Defense Force as a combat medic uh, and a light infantry regiment. And he was honorably discharged after his service there. His master's thesis is on medical cannabis for PTSD. His current work is under review for publication, and he served as a witness in Parliament uh, for an inquiry on medical, medical cannabis. He's going to join us today to discuss his work, his master's thesis, the difference between THC and CBD, uh, and our body's endocannabinoid system. And I, I'm pretty excited about this because I'm going to tell you, I don't know much about CDB oil, I've, I, I, CBD oil. I've heard a lot of great stuff about it. Um, I, haven't, I haven't actually used it myself uh, on any meaningful level, uh, so I don't have any firsthand experience with it. And it's something, not something I've really dug into. As a, a true liberty-oriented individual, uh, I'm happy to see things like CBD oil be completely legal uh, and people be left alone to use them. I'm fine with cannabis itself uh, that way. Uh, I, I don't think really anybody has any right to tell any grown adult what they can and can't put in their body. So from a liberty standpoint, this is something that you know is, is deeply meaningful to me. But I've really never examined exactly how much medical benefit and psychological benefit exists with CBD. And CBD, of course, is the, the component of the cannabis plant that doesn't get you high. So this isn't some back... And I mean, all of the Puritans, as CBD oil has been pushed as something that should be legal, um, have said, oh, it's a back door to getting high. Get you, there's a sheriff that ran a bust on a bunch of stores selling it uh, up in, uh, in Tennessee, I think, or something like that. So they use it to get high. It's like this stuff doesn't get you high. And it doesn't require a prescription. And, and most of it today is derived from the hemp plant, i.e. hemp, rope, not dope. Uh, so I, I think it's something that's become very prevalent. I've, I've seen shops popping up all around here in Texas. Uh, lots of different options for it. Uh, on some levels it seems rather expensive, but I don't even really know the dosages or anything like that. I don't really know anything other than kind of third-hand, second-hand information so far. So I'm going to really enjoy today's uh, interview with Jacob. I think you guys will too. I think it'll open up a lot of minds and give people maybe an alternative for certain things that have been chronic in their lives and pharmaceuticals just have not been a, uh, a help for. And you know when, when Big Pharma is opposed to something, it's probably a reason and it's probably not because it doesn't work. Anyway, with that, before I get Jacob on, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith Snow, man, the guy is awesome. He's been serving our community as part of the expert council, being on the show, helping us out for like seven years now. Uh, he's also been a sponsor for like seven or eight years now. So, I mean, he's just a good friend of our community. He's a great dude, and he has really great ways for you to make your food better than you ever thought it could be. He's got some great courses, like the Paleo Beef Course and Food Storage Feast. He's got a blog. He's got a podcast. Uh, he's got a great YouTube channel. If you want to learn how to cook seasonally and locally, 
Check out Keith over at HarvestEating.com. Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. This is another longtime partner of the show. When Jeff was not our first or second sponsor, I think he was either our third or our fourth uh, sponsor, though, and that would have been in 2009. So Jeff has been sponsoring the show since 2009. Uh, he's an amazing dude as well. He takes care of the audience really well. Of course, what do you get from the Berkey guy? Berkey water filtration systems. If you know, If I have to explain why it's important to care about the water you drink and cook with and put in your body. I don't really know why you're listening to a show like The Survival Podcast. Water is life. And the Berkey system, what I love about it is it doesn't require any special knowledge to maintain. You put filters in it, you dump water in the top, it comes out the bottom. It really can't fail. Um, it, the, the, the filters last damn near forever. When you do need one, Jeff will take new ones. Jeff will take care of you. Um, and it looks great. So, I mean, it's just, just great all around. Love Berkey. Uh, I put my water through a Berkey. I think you should, too. Check him out at directive21.com. Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. And with that, let's go ahead and get our special guest on the air. Again, my special guest today is Jacob Cohen, a combat veteran and current Master of Science student in pharmacology, doing work on the use of cannabis with CBD oil for the treatment of PTSD. Jacob, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, man, I got you on today to talk about uh, the endocannabinoid system, uh, medical uses for cannabis, uh, CBD versus THC, all, all this stuff. And I'm really excited to have you on. We've never actually had a subject matter expert on about this subject before, and I feel like it's long overdue. But before we dig into this, can you tell us a little bit about kind of like how you ended up where you are in life, like your, your, your wonky path that we all seem to walk like? Go back to like your spacing out in high school, trying to figure out how to ask some girl how to, to go out with you or something. And, and I know you ended up in the military. Kind of what led to that decision? Yeah, so basically I was in high school and uh, there was nothing really special going on. Like my grades were always all right, but they were never spectacular. And then I knew I needed to do something different. And then I had a history in my family about uh, military service with the grandparents on both sides being involved. So I wanted to pick it up kind of where they left off since my parents didn't serve. And I knew it would like kind of give me a chance to jumpstart my life and do something better. And then I was always considering medical school. And um, so I, I, I finished just the, like the courses I need to get myself into university. And then I did, uh, it's called the primary care paramedic program in Canada. So I became a certified primary care paramedic. I worked for like a little bit, but then also I wasn't really finding work. And then at that point, I just jumped in and I, I went right up to the Israeli Defense Force uh, office in, in Canada, like in the Israeli ministry in Canada to get myself registered, went to Israel, did all the tests. And then I, I, I started in with a, a recon infantry unit, moved on after to a regular battalion with the infantry. And I was there kind of like head medic. And I just did... Uh, The two and a half years, because it goes by age, is the mandatory service at the age I drafted. Got out honorably, and then um, I just kind of, from there, I kept, I started seeing early symptoms of PTSD in the guys and other issues, and I kept hearing about, like, CBD oil over and over and over again. So I kind of knew that when I went into university, I wanted to not only get a marketable degree, but something that I could also do to maybe, you know, help these people and study actually what's going on. And I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. So let's talk about that. What, what exactly are you currently studying? So my thesis is the therapeutic potentials of cannabis 
for post-traumatic stress disorder. And then I have a couple side projects, but that's the core thesis. Got you. And now you actually ended up in front of, because you're in Canada, Parliament. So like here in, our, in the States, we'd call it our Congress, uh, discussing this, right? Yeah, I met, I met a, it's called an MP, a member of Parliament, at a conference that I went to that was geared towards military and veteran health. And we just discussed my background, and he was saying, you know, we don't meet a lot of veteran researchers, especially in pharmacology. And also it works well because my supervisor is a clinical psychiatrist as well as a researcher. So he thought both of our testimonies would be issue um, because I don't know if you guys know or not, everybody knows, but cannabis was just legalized totally in Canada in October. So they reopened their investigation into medical cannabis for veterans. Yeah, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit too? Like, so Canada's completely legalized cannabis now, and we have a very different environment, I think, down here in the States where individual states have legalized it on various levels. Technically, it's still federally prohibited, but the people that are behind like we can't do this are telling us the sky will fall you know babies will be born with heads on their asses or something like it's just like car stories has has canada you know like gone into mad max scenarios or something since cannabis was legalized well that was the biggest opposition for the longest time but actually we're seeing from the data from the states actually in the states that did legalize cannabis that rates overall of crime are going down and that some of these people are also able to get off their prescriptions better um, or just reduce the number of prescriptions that they take, period. And the same thing happened in Israel where they have a really open uh, stance towards cannabis as well. So kind of in, in Canada, just hearing it over and over and over again, really, it, it's almost like it's stiff-armed its way to legalization, but in, in a good way. Yeah, and I... I think that what we've noticed down here when it comes to the public opinion, there's a lot of varied public opinions, and some people know why they believe what they believe, some don't, but it's it's all over the map. But when we look at what really drives politics, which is often money and lobbying, the biggest lobbies that seem to be opposing cannabis legalization in the United States anyway is the big big pharmaceutical, um, the the prison industry, because we have you know a private complex prison industry to a degree in the United States, um, and, and the alcohol industry. And, and that's where the most money being spent to lobby politicians seems to come from. That that does seem to make an odd amount of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. The only thing is, like, you know, I, I know the, the lobby in the States runs really deep and is a really powerful thing. But I see, for example, in Canada, there's a couple, like, what some of our companies are partnering with, with beer companies and alcohol makers to in, infuse cannabis products in, into their beers. Like, for example, Tilray just partnered with the makers of Corona to make a, a cannabis-infused beer. And they also just partnered with uh, Novartis to distribute their, their gel cap materials. So I think it's just kind of a matter of time before, even if they don't see necessarily the benefit, they'll see the value and they'll, they'll kind of shift their attitudes a little bit. So can you maybe describe to us a little bit um, about your master's thesis, what you're actually working on specifically with the use of medical cannabis? So what we kept hearing was, and the kind of the fears with cannabis was that people didn't know that there's over 115 compounds in the cannabis plant to date, and they're still finding more all the time, and that not all of them are psychoactive. So the biggest ones that we know the most about are THC, which is psychoactive, that's what gets you high, 
and cannabidiol, which is totally non-psychoactive. So like you can, you can drink it and you won't get high at all. And that actually CBD, if you guys heard the story of Dravet syndrome epilepsy, the aggressive epilepsy, that's kind of what kickstarted more research into it and people to stop basically turning a blind eye to it and realizing that there's, there's something deeper going on with the CBD. So what I wanted to do was ideal, idealize the optimal dose and ratio of THC and CBD for PT, people that suffer PTSD because in, in some countries like in Israel and also in the Netherlands, they do recommend low doses of THC for high anxiety patients. Got you. And what, what is, what is your current findings? Have you completed your thesis? Is this something still ongoing? I know that like it's a big part of obtaining a master's degree, but wherever you're at with it, you know, what, what have you found at this point? Yeah. So, so far, um, because I had to prove my model first because I use a new model. Uh, we have to do studies in animals before they'll give us clearance to do a clinical trial with humans. So I did the first study proving my model that I can induce PTSD-like symptoms in the rats. And I just completed a few months ago, like two months ago, the study where we actually used just CBD oil, hardly any THC. And um, the results were were almost miraculous. It was kind of what I was expecting, but... I wasn't expecting it to that degree. The stressed animals that got treated with cannabidiol oil performed way better in the behavioral tests than the stress groups did, and they almost performed as well as the control groups. And then I have more data coming out now. I have, I'm doing a whole battery of tests, but we're seeing entirely systemic effects throughout the whole body that this is, this is beneficial. That's, that's pretty awesome. And so can you, I think a lot of people, are confused about CBD oil. I just talked about during the intro segment that I actually saw this thing where a the sheriff's officer had run a raid on a whole bunch of stores selling CBD oil, which is legal in the United States, by the way, um, and kind of screwed that up. And he his insistence was they use this to get high. And and CBD oil is not something that will, will create a high on any level as far as I know. But they, they also, like, what I like about what you're doing is you're saying, well, maybe there's a place for the THC side, too. What, what is the difference between the two of these, and, and what is the relevance to the person that's considering using cannabis as some sort of a medicinal aid? So CBD is almost purely medicinal. There's no recreational factor to it at all, whereas THC in the right concentrations um, can, you know, it gets you high, but also THC, that's also the issue. It's been getting more and more potent. They've been trying to increase the concentration of THC in people's cannabis over the years. So, you know, basically you get your bang for your buck. So you only need, you know, a couple of tokes to get high. And they're, they're finding all studies across animals and humans are showing that overuse of THC can lead to poor memory, psychosis, reduce your white matter, reduce your cognition, make you forget things easier. It's just high volumes of it don't work. But now that they're exploring it, they're, they're seeing that a low volume might actually be a benefit to people that either have serious pain or serious um, anxiety issues or like trouble sleeping. The difference really is CBD only has really light affinity for your endocannabinoid receptors, like the receptors endogenous to your body, whereas THC is a really stronger bind, and it also mimics the natural um, endocannabinoid in your, in your body, AEG, or AEA, sorry, anandamide. 
in structure. So it just crosses into your brain a lot more readily. You know, you mentioned like high levels of THC, and I think we've all probably in our lives known the pothead who wakes up and smokes pot and then, you know, goes to work and then smokes pot and then co constantly. And that's one way to get these really high levels. I think the other thing, though, is that over the years, and now it's in the legal space, however we define that, the cannabis itself has been bred and grown to have higher and higher levels of THC. I see that kind of as an, uh, you know, a backlash against a state the state's policy of making it illegal and then saying, well, if you have an ounce or less, it's a misdemeanor. It's not intended to distribute, et cetera. So you end up with what always happens with prohibition. Well, then let's make it stronger so that there's more in this small quantity. Do you think maybe that is something of concern that people that, so like I'm, I'm almost 50 and you know, I, I'm a normal American kid, which means I smoked pot in high school and It's not the same as it was back then. And so do you think that people that maybe they're coming to the point where it's legal in their area and their familiarity with it is 20, 30 years ago need to be mindful of that, I guess? Oh, yeah, definitely, because it's so different. Like they, they, they're showing that I think I read a study where the average potency in like the 70s, 80s was only around, you know, four to six percent. Sure. Where today easy you can get 22 and up and then especially when guys try and try stuff like shatter or like an edible that's super dangerous because you know they won't even be ready that they're going to get that high that fast hmm. see and i wonder like is there as this becomes more and more a thing are we going to start seeing the uh i guess the, the beer equivalent to whiskey come back right like like will growers start to realize there is a market for the person that just wants just put it this way good old-fashioned weed Yeah, we're, we're kind of seeing that. And then especially with the, the legalization, uh, it, it's, you know, because like you said, it's mostly teenagers is, is, is the big market. And then, you you know, most people in their in their older age, if they do smoke, they don't smoke very much because, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass to have to find a dealer, especially, you know, when you're older or to, you know, ask your, your teenage son where, where they get their weed from. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but a, a lot of companies and just science period, we're kind of realizing that there is kind of that threshold. And also that, you know, just too, too much, just, you know, I think we've all, maybe we've all been at the point where we've smoked and we're like, whoa, <laughs> I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I need to put this down. So they're, 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 they're kind of reducing it. But then I think they're, they're trying to, they, they tell you in this, at least in Canada, in the stores, this, the one store that I went to, to just check it out, see what was going on. They were saying that, Hey, like, you know, this, this is powerful. Take it easy when you try this stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that as there is, like, let's say the war on, on cannabis begins to ebb, that you might find more and more of old school stuff, I guess is the way I, I don't really know how, how to put it. Uh, I guess there is always the option of well, use less, and that's kind of, you know, value for your buck. But I've also seen a lot of places now they're starting to legalize small amounts being grown at home, and that gives people that freedom. But let's, let's dig more back into the medicinal side using CBD. And let's talk about, you keep using a term that's really, sounds really complicated, the endocannabinoid system. Can you explain uh -huh. that system and how it, I don't think people, like it's, I guess because of the, the bias against marijuana, cannabis, whatever you want to call it, and the war on drugs in the 70s and 80s, et cetera, this is not something you learned about in, in like high school biology class. I never heard this term going through school 
And then when you find out what it does, it's, it's like, how can you ignore something that regulates almost every part of your body? Right. And, and even now, they don't even know anything about it. Like, it's so new because it was so ignored for so long. But um, in, in short, we have endogenous. So just it's in our systems already. You're born with it in your body. Endogenous cannabinoid systems. And we have we know we have a CB1 and a CB2 and possibly a CB3 receptor. And I'll go into that. The CB1 receptors are mostly in the brain, but then they're a little bit spread out throughout the body. And they control stuff like appetite, mood, sleep, um, relaxation, anxiety levels, other stuff. There's also CB1 receptors on the heart to control heart rate. And then CB2 is mostly in the periphery, so kind of just outside the brain and outside the heart. There's some, but it, it's mostly to control like immune systems and uh, stress responses. So like if you get injured, your CB2 receptors will kind of kick in. Okay. And like, so, I mean, can you, we say back in the army, break it down Barney style. So make it really simple for the layman. Like, what does this mean to the person out there that's listening to this and considering CBD oil, let's say as some uh, form of therapy for themselves? What, what does that all actually mean? Cause you use a lot of big science words there. <laughs> yeah. So basically if we break it down Barney style, CB1 in brain, CB2 everywhere else. Okay. CBD, take as much as you want. THC, be careful with it. Okay. Okay. And, like, so when CBD oil kind of got to the point in the United States where you could get it without threat of going to prison for it, um, there still seemed to be a great deal of pushback against it. I think there was a lot, large amount of misunderstanding that, you know, that it was like a backdoor to getting high or something. And a lot of, you know, of the Internet websites that are kind of in the big farm world came out with things about it has side effects and, and what have you. Is there, you just said CBD oil, use as much of it as you want. Are there any potential side effects, any potential negative effects of the use of CBD oil? So we don't actually have enough data to 100% say no. But so far, you know, just because we only started really looking at this stuff in like 2013, 2014, that's when that case of Charlotte's Web, those Gervais seizures, those aggressive seizures came out. Okay. Um, we don't have enough to say no, but like all the studies we've, we've done in animals and then in my studies, I don't see it. And then people even like I give it to, to my pets. And, you know, obviously I don't want to get my dog high, but she has some some skin issues. And she has a sensitive stomach, and I give her CBD oil, and I, I don't see any trace of the dog being stoned. Okay. So, like, one of the side effects I'm reading here on um, healthline.com, it's a propaganda site, says one of the side effects could be diarrhea. Now, I look at that and go, are, what, what, what quantity, have you, you know, taken enough of olive oil? Um, you could do that. I mean, changes in appetite, fatigue. Have you seen, in, in your work anyway, anything at all like that as being a, a side effect or, or creating a potential problem? Well, that's actually an issue. It, it's not directly related to the CBD itself. It's just CBD has to be, to be in an oil, it has to be mixed in with some kind of oil. Okay. And then also some companies aren't actually properly isolating the CBD. So there's other compounds in there. So like, but I, kind of a red flag is when, when you see something that says 100% CBD, nothing else. 
you you know right away that basically it's bullshit because you know there's going to be huh. trace amounts of the of the other compounds in there because the science just isn't there. But yeah, um, if if you mix it with a weird oil like castor oil instead of just something neutral like a palm oil, or like if you take like a weird tincture that somebody made in their backyard, yeah, you're you're going to have effects. But that you can't say that's because of the CBD. That's whatever mix you you used. So your source is actually really important here, and I guess because it's so new, we don't have any kind of standards bodies uh, whatsoever really on them. And I mean, that's a place I think that you know I, I much prefer private industry to step up and do something than the government to do something because government tends to mess things up. Um, where there are certain like certification processes that are voluntary, and I think that's probably a hole in the industry right now that we don't really have anything like that well yeah that's the beauty in canada is like the reputable producers like the companies that produce the stuff and are are allowed to sell the stuff yeah they have gmp so good manufacturing process certification okay. and then the really good ones have the iso so that's like a reporting and just like medical standards qualification and also independent testing okay but we do have iso certification in the state so maybe i'm wrong like i'm not Like a lot of times I have a guest on and I'm really informed at the top topic we're discussing. I am ill-informed on this topic and, and probably uh, no excuse for it because I think it's a really important thing that we need to know more about. But So we may have something like that here in the U.S., but I think it's largely unregulated. And again, I don't have a problem with lack of regulation, but some sort of standards body. So, you know, if this person or this company is marketing this product and they're certified by this and they're using these practices and, you know, they have that, then you know that you're probably dealing with something legitimate. Because I never even really thought about the fact that, you know, you could have something in this medicinal oil that you don't want in your body and a tip-off actually being the claim that it's 100%. That's, that's actually something that you just normally wouldn't think of, but the way you explain it, It, it is a huge tip-off. It can't possibly be true. And when somebody makes a claim you know can't possibly be true, you have to question every claim they make. Yeah, exactly. And then also the good part about Canada, too, is now that it's legal, everything has to run through Health Canada. Who's For any drug or anything, any product, they're, they're, they're the regulating authority. So it's still a bit of a mess because, you know, it's, it's so new and they honestly weren't prepared. But mm -hmm. at least I'm kind, you know, it's not just like, Some unknown factory in Colorado can claim that they're pushing out 100% in a weird oil or a weird tincture and sell it in Colorado without the government monitoring because on, on, the, on the federal level, it's illegal. Correct, correct. And that's another case for – well, see, in, in the United States, CBD, as long as THC is below some ridiculously low number, is legal under federal law, um, I think. As much yeah, with the farm bill, I think I think it is. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know the regulations. I haven't checked, but but I think that CBD oil in the United States is not like medical cannabis. So medical cannabis, from a standpoint of THC, like you, the, the, the states that have, if you want to get cannabis instead of legal, like Colorado, it's legal for medical or recreational. Like Pennsylvania legalized it, but you have to go to your doctor and get a prescription. So that's considered a drug within the state. It's prescribable, but not a drug in the country. It's weird. But then the CBD oil is, is handled more like a nutritional supplement under those type of regulations. It doesn't have basically – what you're telling me, if I understand you correctly, is that 
it's considered basically an over-the-counter drug in Canada, where if I went and bought Tylenol or Actifed or something, there's certain assurances and certifications and requirements to sell that as a drug, where in the States it's just kind of, it is a thing that we haven't really defined yet. It's kind of like an in-between. Okay. And then Health Canada even admitted that their their certification processes aren't really up-to-date. Mm. But, like, you know, some of the bigger companies are able to show that they've they've passed certain regulatory standards testing. You know, there's still every once in a while, you know, an unlicensed shop will pop up or something will pop up and, you know, the, the regulation bodies will be like, hey, you guys aren't approved to do this. Like, for example, in Canada, they're still waiting on edibles because that has to go through our food administration. Okay. Some Some dispensaries just took it upon themselves to start putting edibles on the shelves. So I, there, there's still a little bit of, you know, it's still, it's still not where it should be, but it's at least somewhat monitored. Before we go forward, I just want to say for people out there listening, um, I am a, a, a thousand percent libertarian. I think you should be able to do anything you want, but that doesn't mean you should do it. And on the edibles thing, this is where I've seen and heard stories of people getting into real trouble. Somebody goes out and buys a, a you know, a cookie. And this cookie is designed to be eaten like in four pieces, and it's a cookie, so they eat the whole thing, and they end up freaked out. And I think you really need to be careful there. And let's be honest, when you use traditional cannabis, it does cause munchies. And I personally think combining you know, cannabis with cookies and candy is not a good idea, honestly. I, I, I don't really think it makes a lot of sense because... People make poor decisions when they're in, in – you know what I'm saying? Like, I just think that maybe – I don't want it made not legal, but I think we really need to think about this. Is this really the way that you want to administer this? I guess with, with CBD, it wouldn't matter, but I'm talking stuff that contains THC as well. Well, not usually because also a lot of people don't know that there's actually a ton of those CB1 and CB2 receptors in your gut, and that's why an edible oh. – it's not like something where you, where you hit it instantly it's it takes a while and then that's also where you get an issue because some people say hey this is garbage and they take another one not realizing it's about to hit like a sledgehammer in like 30 minutes okay <laughs> okay so can you talk about some of the things that that cbd oil has proven to be useful for like if somebody's sitting out there saying i wonder if this is an answer for me where has it proven itself to to, to really be helpful I think we could so, probably lead off with PTSD because we've heard so many stories about that, but I think there's more than just that. So totally proven is um, children's forms of epilepsy, uh, namely Dravet syndrome, and then there's another epilepsy syndrome. The name escapes me offhand, but that's for sure been proven. Um, movement disorders like Parkinson's and Huntington's, um, where uh, spasticity with multiple sclerosis, and then it's not been totally proven, but there's there's other stuff going on. Like they're they're saying it may have some antioxidant, anti-cancer properties, definitely anti-anxiety properties. So there's just a whole list, but not only a few of them have been you know concretely proven and added into regular regimens. Now I think diet's a big part of this, but a lot of the problems that people have today in the modern world, um, to me, stem from different forms thereof of autoimmune responses and diseases. And so has there been any research in, in that world of, of autoimmune? Because I think a lot of people like, so the person, their problem is they have a rash and it, it breaks out all the time. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that 
you know, their problem directly is a rash, i.e. you're touching a plant that, like poison ivy or like there's not a reason that they can find. And so something in the body is trigger, triggering a rash, which is an immune response. Has, has CBD uh, shown to be promising at all for things like that yet? Yeah, they know they know it does do that. that that's its main action. It basically it, it calms down that hyperactive immune response. And so um, I'm not sure really clinically because I just I haven't looked into it. But like I, I, I know they do know that for overactive immune responses, it, it does do that. And then I, I don't know if there's really data on it, but I imagine there would be a ton of people use that kind of cream for like rashes and stuff. And like I mentioned, I use it for my dog and it was it was insane how fast her skin went from looking like like almost like razor burn mm. to, to normal and smooth. In, in three, four days. Now, your dog, when you're using it, are you using it topically on that rash itself or are you using it uh, internally? Yeah, oh, both. I, I okay. just massage the oil right on the skin and then I just put a little bit of the oil in her food. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, that's that could be huge for this audience alone because I, you know, we have a vet on our, um, a, vet, a veterinarian on our, what we call our expert council for the expert council shows. And we get a lot of questions about rashes and redness and, and, and things like that. So again, you know, I just don't think having a rash is a normal condition of, of the human or the canine that something's causing it. And if it is internal and all you're doing is putting on some sort of a soothing lotion or something like that, even if it works, it doesn't, it doesn't deal with the underlying issue. So that's, That's really valuable to know. Do you see any value in people using CBD as kind of like there's not really anything specifically wrong with them, but, you know, like you would use something more like a tonic, a tonic or something like that? Honestly, I would say if you don't need it, don't take it. Okay. Just because like actually in my rat model, what, what I do is I analyze the adrenal glands. Um, just to see if they change because we know they do change in response to stress and that affects your cortisol production and that affects your whole, uh, we call it the hypothalamary pituitary axis. So just in short, your whole body relies on this axis to re regulate your temperature, your sleep, your sex drive, your sex hormones, all of it. So um, we're seeing that in regular rats that got CBD, so basically for no reason, that their adrenal glands blew up. Mm. Like bigger than controls, and that's not usually a good thing. Um, I haven't analyzed their cortisol levels yet, just because you know I I didn't have time yet. But um, just that alone said should should tell you that if you don't need it, don't take it. Okay. But you know, for example, if, if you if if you get in, have a painful condition, if you hurt yourself, or you know if you have like a bad stomach ache or whatever, then you can take it. Just don't make it like a, a regular thing. Okay. And then also just the, the best the best idea. Um, I know it's expensive for you guys in the state, but just run it by your doctor. Some some, some of them know. Some of them might be totally against. But also a lot of people don't know about it. The site PubMed.com is amazing. You can find all current literature, and then you can check the source, check the funding, get the most recent info. It's really good, and people should should go there to kind of make better decisions. That, that's a great resource. I'll make sure that I add that to the uh, the show notes today. Um, what about chronic pain? Uh, you know, back pain, things like that. Yeah. So Israel and even legalized states, they're showing chronic pain conditions are helping chronic pain patients get off their opioids, either reducing the dose or reducing like the number of of different prescriptions that they're on. 
again, you could see where Big Pharma might not be really pleased with that. That that that's a huge cash cow for them. And well, the only thing is they're going to have to change their attitude because I, I'm I'm sure it's in the U.S. too, but we actually have an opioid crisis on our hands in Canada as yes. well. Yes. And I think one of the things we've seen is a lot of the people that are are part of that crisis are the same people that maybe it's not directly pain, uh, but but a lot of returning veterans with PTSD and people that have been through other things that have PTSD, uh, they they have that problem. They do have something that causes physical pain. They end up on a prescription opiate. Then they take enough of it to where even when the underlying pain It's really not, it doesn't need it anymore. Now they're hooked on the opiate and with yep. the prescription opiates, people think like, oh, these people are just getting high on pills or whatever. My understanding from the people I've talked to about this that have been through it is that when that happens to a person, taking more of those pills does not make them feel great. It keeps them from feeling like crap from not having it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And there's, there's data on that. Hmm. Hmm. So you mentioned uh, PubMed. Um, I'll make sure I put a link to that. Are there any other refer uh, reference sites or uh, places you think people can, can get solid information on this stuff? Yeah, so some of the bigger journals um, have websites, and then a lot of it, like if you register, you just have to put in your email. Um, a lot of the better articles are free. Okay. Um, and then if you want to pay, you can, you can like subscribe. I don't think it's too much money. Um, nature.com is, is a really good one. They, they, they're one of the bigger journals and they tend to publish the most kind of unbiased information. So what do you see as maybe challenges, um, with studies going forward and, and kind of the future direction? Like what, what's coming next in the world of, of cannabis for, for medical treatment? I think the biggest opposition is, is kind of just, The, uh, the the governments they're ma they're making it a, a little bit difficult to do clinical trials and they're you know they, they they say for sound bites and for the public that they want to do it but then they don't actively fund anything or contribute anything and then they keep asking you to pile on more data even though of course it's necessary and it's a good idea but we just know from people using it like continuously that it works so it's like when are we gonna cut out the middleman and just move forward. Well, yeah, and isn't the whole point of the research to get the data? So it's kind of the cart before the horse type of thing is what it sounds like. Well, yeah, that's that's what happened. The thing is, there is some data, but also the problem for, for years has just been so biased, either totally pro because somebody got a grant from a cannabis company or totally against, and they're just trying to say, you know, it'll turn you into a monster after one hit. So there's there's no reliable data yet. But we, we know people are using it and it has a benefit. And people, especially where it's legal, people are, people are taking it. So people are taking it. Let's study people. And then now we have this golden window in the legalized places where we can see what a non-user, how they react to using. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like one of the key things there you said is we don't, you don't really have to line people up for trials. You can just get people to be part of a trial that are already either using it or have already made a decision that they're going to, and then research becomes what it really should be, observation. Yeah, yeah. Instead of, you know, direction. Like, if you're, as a researcher, if you're if you are starting out trying to prove something, then 
bias is going to affect your research no matter what anybody says. Nobody's that pure. We all have confirmation and perception biases. If research is to find out what happens, then we get the closest thing to a pure result that we can get. I don't think we're... I don't think anybody's perfect with that. I don't think even any methodology is perfect with that. There'll always be questions. We're always, you know, I, when I, one of the terms I hate the most is settled science. I guess there's a few things. Gravity, like you drop stuff, it falls. But in the end, the whole point of science is that we're never really 100% sure, so it's a constant quest. And we have a methodology that's designed to make sure that when we draw a conclusion, that conclusion is based on sound evidence. And the yeah, exactly. Best evidence, yeah. And the best evidence is the observation. And we do know it works. I mean, can you talk about, like, do you know any people individually, you know, that really were having, like, with PTSD a really hard time and this has turned their life around? Uh, Boone Cutler. Okay. I've, I don't know if you've heard of him or no. No, no. Okay. Well, uh, Boone was a U.S. Army sergeant. Um, and he was with the Airborne, and then he transferred into PSYOPs, and he, he got blown up in Iraq. He got a TBI and then all of the associated with sim symptoms with TBI um, and a little bit of PTSD. He got checked into Walter Reed and it was at the height of their abuse scandal. And he just got put on a whack of everything. You name it, he was on it. And eventually just one day, he, yeah, like you said, he became addicted to the medications that they prescribed him. He And then just one day he made the decision to come off of it, start using cannabis And now he uses CBD oil and the THC is needed. And, you know, he's an amazing guy. He does um, advocate work, a radio show, books, interviews, uh, appearances for the government, you name it. Wow. I'll have to look into him. And can you talk about, like, since you've done a lot of research here, what is current, you know, standard practice? You have a soldier veteran that's been diagnosed with PTSD and he's seeing a doctor. What does a doctor generally do with that diagnosis as far as what's prescribed? So, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure about the States, but I can comment on Canada. So we have the Canadian Psychiatry Association and they have guidelines through their evidence-based medicine. And um, they, they, they kind of go through everything and they put together guidelines. And right now the guideline is to go on what's called an SSRI, which is basically like an anti-anxiety medication. Um, and it's an S, a common SSRI would be something like uh, Prozac or something like that. Because just those give, in all the studies, the best benefit. Um, and then there's the other more serious ones like quetiapine and other things. Um, cannabis is kind of a, a last resort option for when other stuff doesn't work just because there's there's not good enough evidence for them comfortably or easily without risk of being sued afterwards if treatment doesn't work to authorize it for them so they can go buy it um but you know there there are there are some that don't really care and we'll just let's try you on this while while your other one works but the problem with that is also a lot of people don't know and we're kind of finding out now cannabis has a lot of interactions with other medications So it's 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 a huge issue for them. So now, when you talk about interactions, that's a great question. And we keep using the word cannabis over and over. And we, I want to kind of keep this where we know there's two balls in the court. One is the THC side. One is the CBD side. If we're just talking CBD for therapeutic use, do we have a lot of interactions there, 
or oh, only yeah. on – okay, we do. Okay, can you talk yeah. about that? Because that's important because I think people have been convinced, rightly so in many ways, that CBD is very, very safe. But plenty of things are safe by themselves. This thing's safe over here and this thing's safe over here, and we do not want to put them together. So can what kind of – like if somebody's considering CBD oil – What do they need to not be taking when they're using CBD oil? That's hugely important. That's also a thing we don't know yet, just because mm. there's a thing called the metabolic enzymes. So the bigger ones are CYP450, and they're that kind of family. And all cannabis in all forms, all compounds have huge interactions with that one and some other metabolic enzymes. So they can either shoot them up or shoot them down, and that'll totally – put out of whack other medications you may be taking. Okay, so maybe it's not so much a, a danger, as in a dangerous interaction, but it can cause the other drug to be not effective. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, either it actually can cause it to it be make, dangerous? Yeah, it can either make the drug you're taking like useless, Okay. or it can make it too effective, or it can just lead to... It'll displace it so it just builds up in, in in your like in the protein and not actually get into your blood. So then you get toxicity. Hmm. So then we we might be looking at something that's a very effective treatment for things, and it involves then not using other medications, using it you know, by itself. So if a person is struggling with something like PTSD, they've gone the medical route. The doctor wants to put them on Prozac or SRIs or something like that. If they want to try CBD oil, it's probably best. I'm, I'm, again, I, I'm not a, an expert on this at all. Um, so this is what I'm gleaning from what you're saying. It's probably best that they try it alone to see if it works before using these other things that we know can be dangerous. Yeah, and then um, I think there's literature coming out and available, but they should definitely talk to their doctor, and most physicians are aware of it with kind of cannabis coming on the uprise okay because yeah that's that's i mean that's just something i hadn't really thought of i've i've thought of when it, we're talking pure cbd it being just as safe as anything could be and it sounds like in many ways that it is but it also can be a problem combined with other things are there any specific medications that we absolutely know like these two things should not play together <sighs> yeah pretty much the anti-psychiatry uh or the psychiatry medications like okay. all of them just because those ones are metabolized by that CYP450 and the family. Because that's, cause that's, and that's the main person that would, would seek this. So the person that's already on some psychotropic drug should work with their doctor to ebb off it if they want to give this a shot. The two together, not good. That, that's what I'm getting at. And then of. also with, with, with pain pills, just because they kind of interact in the same areas. Okay. So that, that too is a little bit of a concern. So when you say pain pills, you mean like opiates, but do you mean other pain pills? I mean, are we yeah, talking, everything, yeah. Are we talking like, like non-steroidals like Advil and, and Motrin? Um, I mean, CBD might kind of up the effects of like the kind of more regular ones, but they're okay. not what it does with the opiates yet. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, they, They should consider talking with their doctor about that. Got you, got you. That's I, I am for that last five minutes. I am internally grateful that we got you on the show because I think that's going to save some people from making some mistakes. I, it's something that I just absolutely never even considered. What about interaction with alcohol? That's probably the you know for all the talk of how dangerous cannabis is, the, probably the thing that causes the most uh, health problems in America, other than tobacco, is, is alcohol. Alcohol has 
tremendous number of effects on the human body. CBD oil and alcohol. You mentioned like beer companies putting the two together. Yeah. Good idea, bad idea. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I okay. know they interact, but like, I don't know if that would be a good thing. I know if anything, it might help protect your liver a little bit from the alcohol damage, but okay. I'm honestly not sure. Yeah, and I mean, if you're drinking enough to do serious damage to your liver, you're drinking too much and you have a problem. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, so I mean, I, obviously, I think if you said, well, if I uh, if I chug half a bottle of vodka with CBD oil and is it bad, I do chugging half a bottle <laughs> of vodka is the problem there. Okay, so that's just another thing because it's, you know, people in you know all around the world uh, drink. That's a thing. So I just wanted to kind of cover that. Um, do you have any more findings or inclinations or, or thoughts from your specific work do you want to mention before we wrap up here today? No, I think that's about it. Okay. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you being with us. And as you um, do further research, if you find anything that you would like to get on the air for a full interview or just kind of like if you have like a 10-minute thing you want to come in and hit us with, please get in touch with me because one of the things I respect the most about you in this interview is asking you questions that sometimes you answer with we don't know or I don't know because we have way too many people that just make crap up along the way so I really learned a lot today I appreciate you being with us Jacob and I appreciate your blunt honesty on some of these things well I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be you can't be a researcher if you're full of shit so you can't just make stuff up I can go. prove that to be <laughs> you, I think you need to add good researcher <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. About, you know, a credible one. So. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Because I could show you some examples. I'm telling you. Oh, I, I know there's plenty. I read. I read the nonsense they put out all the time. Man, thanks for being with us today, Jacob. I hope you have a great day, and and I really do think you were were uh, helpful to the audience. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for having me. Well, great interview. I, I found that really informative. I actually have another guest uh, in the lineup. I don't think it's next week, maybe a week or two from now. We're going to discuss more about CBD oil. And I was actually reached out to today from one of the uh, the staff over at the Tenth Amendment Center, uh, and, and we're probably going to have them on. I've asked that individual to listen to this show so he can get an idea of what we've already covered, so maybe he can bring some new light to the equation and some other, uh, maybe some other issues with legalities and stuff like that. So, anyway, uh, great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Let's talk about how you can support this show if you like the work that we do. Easiest way, completely painless, you're going to shop online. Go to tspaz.com first and, and try shopping from tspaz.com. You can get over to Amazon, see the deals of the day. You can shop for anything and everything Amazon that way. You can see all my reviews. And when I do a review, guys, I try to make it informative, not just like this thing's great and here's what's good about it and here's the pros and cons. I try to make it informative to so like here's what you do with it. Uh, to where even if you're not going to buy it, if you have some other source or whatever, it can help you. And today's product is a cheap little $5 product um, that you can get a similar product and make what I'm going to teach you about today, right? So these are Thai whole dried chilies. They're by a, a group um, that sells on Amazon called Asia Trendy. And the first time I got these, I, I, I don't even understand. I do not understand how they do this. I ordered two pounds of this stuff. It came wrapped up in a bag with a custom sticker on it. It had been shipped directly from Thailand like two days ago, and I have it in my house for five bucks, and it's shipped free. I don't know if these guys are just doing such volume that they're able to bring it in in batches, then part it out or what. 
but this is the real deal straight from Thailand. I mean, to do better than this, you would have to go to Thailand, walk down the street to a market, and buy it in Thailand. That's why I love these for my choice for this. But I use these mostly to make chili oils. And I've, I've taught you about before, my, my, I call it my fa Jack's Famous Chili Oil. And we now call it the classic chili garlic pepper oil. And the way you make that is you take about one to two dozen of these dried chili peppers, about a half a handful of black peppercorns, one whole garlic bulb, or about ten cloves, and two cups of peanut oil. And I'll give you the, the procedure here because I'm going to give you the new version. The new version, you do everything I just said, and then you add also, though, a knob of ginger, which is a piece of ginger about as big as a thumb, uh, one shallot, a small handful of coriander seeds, about a, a tablespoon of cumin seed. And so here's how you make this, right? You get your pot, you add your two cups of peanut oil. Then you take um, your black peppercorns, you just throw them in. You take a cold garlic bulb and just take a knife and just cut it across its belly so that when you look in, you can see the cloves. If you cut it vertically, it, you know, if you cut it horizontally, if you cut it vertically, you're just going to split it in half and break the cloves out. Cut it right down the center across its belly horizontally, and you can look in there and see the cloves. Just throw it in. You don't have to break them up. You don't have to do anything. Um, then take your knob of ginger and cut it into some smaller pieces. Throw it in. Uh, take your shallot. Cut it in half across the belly so you can look in there and see the segments. So one big shallot. Throw it in there. Uh, get a small handful of coriander seed. Throw it in there. Your tablespoon of cumin seed. Throw it in there. And you're ready to go. Turn the oven on, medium-low, and bring the oil slowly up to temperature till it just starts to fry everything. You don't want to deep fry it. You don't want to sit there simmering away. This is one of those things, for this part of it, you cannot walk away from it because it'll go from not to full-on deep frying really, really fast. Generally, a temperature somewhere around 250 to 275 degrees is what we're looking for. Use a little thermal gun if you want to or a thermometer to check that. But if you take it till it just starts, it's, it's frying, but it's not deep frying, if you know what I mean. It's just bubbling a bit. You stir it around. If it stops, let it come back till it, till it kind of gets to that point where you know if you leave it much longer, it's going to go over. Kill the heat. Take a big towel. Set it something like on a cutting board or something like that. Take your pot. Put a lid on it, set it in the towel, wrap the towel around the pot, and just leave it for a few hours so that it stays hot for long. What we're doing, we're holding the heat in, and we're just steeping all that flavor into that oil. Then when the oil cools down, take your pot, dump it into like a Nutri-Ninja, a blender, whatever, and blend the crap out of it. Just blend it and blend it and blend it and blend it. And then strain the oil through a colander into a ball jar. And that's your chili garlic oil. In this case, it's a chili garlic ginger um, shallot oil. And this stuff, chicken wings, fantastic. I tell you how to make the wings in the write-up on this. But you can do this with any hot, any dried hot pepper. What I like about these Thai chilies is you would think these things are just, you know, smoke you out, kill you hot. They're not. They have a really great balance of flavor and heat. And when you use the oil and you coat something like chicken wings and then you grill them, They're really not hot at all because a lot of the, the capsaicin kind of cooks off and it just leaves behind this incredible flavor. So that's that's your cooking lesson for the day. I think it would do Chef Keith proud if he heard that. Anyway, guys, with that, I'm ready to wrap things up today. And we have our song of the day. Of course, we're in train song week. 
And uh, I have a song for you today by Boxcar Willie. We couldn't do more train song than Boxcar Willie. This song is Wabash Cannonball. And it's, it's one of those ideas of traveling the country. This song was, I remember who wrote it now. I looked it up, but I forgot. Uh, was was written originally like in 1902. And it was about an express train that ran on the Wabash line. And a lot of mythology came around it. Hobos thought maybe the Wabash Cannonball was the last train ride that took you off to the afterlife. Uh, there was a story that involved Paul Bunyan's brother building a railroad line, and that's where the Wabash Cannonball ran, and it ran faster and faster every day until one day it showed up an hour before it left, and then it had blasted off into space. So there was a lot of mythology around this, this, this concept of this Wabash Cannonball. But, you know, what I really think is kind of cool about this whole mindset, these train songs, where they came from, was the idea of being kind of a, a vagabond. Uh, someone that just travels around and just experiences the country in a way that you really can't when you get on an airplane on one coast and get off on the other. And we think of the, 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 the concept as being a dead concept. You know, There's just not as many trains as there used to be. Uh, security's a lot tougher. It's a lot harder to be a hobo today. But you know what? Every once in a while I look into it. There's a lot you can do with train travel in the United States still. A lot of cool places you can go, and it's not expensive. You can pretty much cross the country for a couple hundred dollars. And uh, the way train tickets work, you don't have to like, you don't have to just stay on the train all the way through. It, it's it's really easy. Uh, I actually used to really love taking the train. I didn't get to have the experiences in a song like this, but when I worked the Northeast uh, Territory for Fluke Networks many many years ago, now thank God it's many years ago, almost twenty. I had a territory from Virginia to Maine and out to the Ohio border with Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, and then the Golden Triangle and New York City and all that. And one of my biggest markets, obviously, in that, that area would have been Washington, D.C. And it was just really a long drive from where I lived all the way down to D.C. It's just a pain in the ass to park. It just sucks. Uh, but Philadelphia was about an hour drive for me. It was actually 55 minutes down the turnpike. And I could go there, park my car at the Amtrak station, and get on Amtrak for like 45 bucks. And it was a two-hour train ride. And I could work the entire time I was on that train all the way down to D.C. And then hook up with my reps down there and use the metro train and, and what have you. And it was I never drove my car to D.C. It just wasn't worth doing. Trains still have a, a, a valid, you know, are still a valid means of transportation in America. The car is what really killed them off, and the car is what the, broke the back of the railroad monopolies that actually made this type of thing a, a thing at one time. But if you ever want to get out and see the country by train, just let me tell you, you don't have to be running down the road trying to jump on a boxcar. There's a lot of options. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. From the great Atlantic Ocean to the white Pacific shore, to the queen of flowing mountain by the south belt by the shore. Hear the mighty rush and the engine, hear that lonesome hobo's fall. We're riding through to Dixie on the Wabash Cannonball. Our eastern states are dandy, so the people always say, From New York to St. Louis and Chicago, by the way. From the hills of Minnesota, where the rippling waters fall, No changes can be taken on the Wabash Cannonball. Well, listen to the jingle, the rumble and the roar, As she glides along. 
along the woodland by the hills and by the shore. Feel the mighty rush of the engines, hear that lonesome hobo's call. We're traveling through the jungle on the Wabash Cannonball. Texas. She's long and she's tall. She's the combination of the Wabash Cannonball. Will it listen to the jingle, the rumble, and the roar as she glides along the woodland by the hills and by the shore? Hear the mighty rush of the engine, hear that lonesome hobo's fall. We're traveling through to Dixie on the Wabash Cannonball. Cannonball. 